Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Greetings and salutations and welcome to another edition of the Art of War podcast. This week, we are super lucky to be joined by a Team USA WTC, I guess it is WTC player, I was going to say ETC, but that would be wrong, uh, Kurt Klaus, who plays Eldar almost exclusively, I think, and he's going to help us break down the pointy ears and see how they should be played in ninth edition to be competitive. Now, as always, you can find us on the Frontline Gaming Network. Hopefully you found us there. There's a ton of great stuff, including a brand new podcast called The Art of War Down Under, which if you haven't checked that out, you definitely should. Um, as always, joining us on the podcast is the one and only Nick Nanavati, one of the best players in 40K history who's going to help us break down this discussion. Nick, why don't you go ahead, introduce Kurt, tell us a little bit about him, and then let's get started. Sure thing. So Kurt is one of my good friends from back in the Northeast. He lives in uh, the Connecticut, New York area. And I've known Kurt, I don't know, probably for like in the neighborhood of 10 years. We we're just talking about that. So Kurt's one of those players you might not have heard of because he's not super big on the social media presence of this game, but that does not mean he's not a menace on the tabletop. He's beaten me, I don't know, enough times that I can't count it anymore. And we go back and forth all the time. We were playtesting buddies back when I lived up there. We still talk about 40K all the time. If there's someone's opinion who I respect on 40K that you should know about, it is Kurt. So, well, thanks for coming on, Kurt. Introduce yourself. Sure. Nick, I appreciate the uh, introduction there. Very complimentary. I'll happily take all of those. And as Nick said, I've been playing Eldar, or actually, as John said, I've been playing Eldar for quite a long period of time, give or take around 10 years, in all honesty. Uh, one or two of those years, I played a couple other armies, but um, I played Nick, let's see, back at his old store in Jersey all the time. Great friends. Nick probably got the best of me in the majority of those, but as of late, I had a couple of lucky rounds at BFS due to some dice. So I'll I'll take the wins where I can get them. But I'm happy to come on and talk about Eldar and my experience in Ninth. I can't guarantee that this is how you should play them in Ninth, but I can only reflect on my experiences and hope that you take something from it and improve your game a little bit. That's awesome. My favorite thing about Kurt before we get into the nitty-gritty of this podcast is that he's played Eldar for, as he said, 10 years, give or take, and still probably owns maybe 1,200 points. Of Eldar. <laughs> he's, if you ever want to learn how to play Borrow Hammer, play 40K oh. without spending money or painting models, it is Kurt Klaus. This is the best advice I could give you. That's very accurate. Rely on your friends who have horrible addictions to 40K and have tons and tons of models. They will give you models because it'll make them feel better that they're actually on the table instead of sitting in their closet. People love to hand stuff over as long as you don't break it. And Nick would never do that. So feel free to lend Nick your models. He has no bad stories about Nova models breaking. None whatsoever. (laughs) Awesome. Well, enough of that stuff. So let's just get into your list, Kurt. Want to walk us through it from top to bottom? Yeah, sure. So right now I've been trying to play pure Eldar. I've dabbled a little bit in Harlequins, which I really did like as well, but I haven't honestly played them as Nick alluded to. My collection is quite small. So I stick with pure Eldar right now, um, and I'm running one Eldar Battalion and then one Fast Attack Tet. The Eldar Battalion uh, simply has a Farseer on a bike, Warlock on a bike, and then I have 4x5 Dire Avengers with dual catapults, taking the Avenging Strikes, even though they're small units. I have two Night Spinners with twin catapults and three Warwalkers, each armed with dual missile launchers. Uh, I do custom craft world as they're quite good for the shooty part. You take masterful shots and take basically the master artisan's equivalent in Eldar. So you basically have that entire attachment annoying cover and also having built in basically reel to hit and reel to wound. 
because a lot of it's quality firepower with the missiles and the night spinner. You don't really need to buff them at all outside of it. They get pretty decent at shooting. Um, then I'm taking the melee detachment of three spear units and a fast attack detachment, which also has a Farseer Warlock. So I have two Farseers, two Warlocks in total. And then I have three big squad spears, seven, seven, eight. I have an eight man, and they take the skilled rider special ability for the Exarch as opposed to the previous reroll one. And the other seven man takes skilled rider. And then one of the units takes plus one to charge because typically I'll deep strike one of the units and the other two stay on the board. Skilled rider is three up invuln against shooting for that Exarch only. So it plays in nicely into some of the psychic powers and also increases their durability against certain specific units that we can talk about later. But that's the gist of the list. Three big spear units, a couple shooting night spinners for hitting stuff out of cover or out of, out of line of sight, and three Warwalker units or three Warwalker models in one unit. Awesome. So it looks like a pretty like nice, clean Eldar list. One of the things that strikes me as a little unorthodox is your secondary attachment, just an outrider with a bunch of spears and a farce here. That's standard. But you've gone for Hunters of Ancient Relics for that plus one attack near your objective. Makes perfect sense. And Savage Blades. I've literally never seen someone take Savage Blades. What that? What's that about? So Savage Blades is something I not discovered, but I moved into slowly because initially, after playing or playing the Spears so many times, you realize that their shooting is arguably better than their melee, which I'm sure you can kind of attest to when you have ignore cover or and then you combine it with doom their shooting is just absolutely monstrous absolutely. i think like, it's it, a very big misconception you know that it's like think of people think of spears the name spear in itself yep. is the combat weapon you know these two strength six ap4 two damage attacks pretty good but it's like is that better than just shooting one of those attacks at you that's their laser lance and then shooting you four times with shuriken catapults against maybe vehicles or those super elite infantry yes it is but against the vast majority of targets a lot of shots with rending and doom is going to be better that's really the big point there. A lot of people misunderstand that. And if you can apply their shooting really well, it's amazing. But as, as you pointed out, Savage Blades gives you real ones to hit when you charge or get charged. Or I think get heroically intervened now that it's happened too many times. I have to check that. But more or less, it lets them be reliable in melee. Because there are very, very few ways to give Aspect Warriors, specifically Shining Spears, any type of reroll in melee outside of the Warlock power, or the plus one to hit, or giving them rerolls from, like I don't know, something weird like the Avatar or the rain power for real ones if that's even still there anymore um so basically it makes them reliable in melee because in practice so many times they would finally crash into something they'd have doom and they're only throwing two attacks base which is why you're taking the hunters of ancient relics to translate that's plus one attack within three inches of an objective and given the fact that this edition is so heavy on objectives and you have to be on them to win the game effectively they now basically have three attacks all the time unless i'm fighting off an objective and if i am it's either my mistake or my opponent's mistake on their placement so they now have three attacks with rerolling ones. It makes them much more reliable. So now that they don't have three rerolling, so it, it ups the percentage and guarantees their damage because I have no way to guarantee them actually hitting stuff. I can have Doom on something and really guarantee I'm going to wound on fives at worst and reroll the wound or sixes on that Salamander dude. But the Savage Blades was the most clutch thing possible. I initially had a Nork cover, but it didn't really matter that much. And I realized that them actually being able to finish stuff in melee was more important makes a lot of sense it makes your, your spears who are okay at melee you know they have good stats but not many attacks 100 internal explosives let up but no rerolls and that strength six and hitting on threes no rerolls is okay but not great even the middle ones does really go a long way have you considered uh you mentioned that you consider ignores cover but what about superior shurikens for that extra four inch range or uh i, I forget what it's called but the one that's yeah. AP one on your shurikens within 12 inches any of those yeah. So the AP one thing I tried out once or twice, but it may have been skewed because I've tried it against custodes and they just were like, eh, ignore AP one. I was like, okay, well, that's terrible. 
Um, and I've also found the four inches on Shuriken for Shining Spears to me is largely irrelevant because they move so quickly already. And if I'm shooting with a unit, chances are I've already or I've already quickened the unit. So if they're not within range after a 32 inch movement, I don't need like the four inches is not a determining factor. I can understand it if you're doing maybe five man units and they're not meant to actually be like demolishing units like mine are. Uh, not demolishing, but these ones buff psychic powers. Five mans are not really buffing. So I could see that being a logical choice with four inches on a five man unit because they're kind of playing the outside objective. They're not committing, they're just going on objective, popping something, charging, killing a little something. But the bigger units I've found that Savage Blades and Hunter Venture Relics really makes them an effective melee unit. But they're, I would not say the other ones are not viable whatsoever because ignore cover as you know is fantastic on those models because you just get better against almost everything in the game and four inches is really is decent but i've just found in my practice with these specific sized units and the way i'm playing the list that these fit it the best makes a lot of sense that's, very that's cool like great. so i've got a question yeah yeah sorry to jump in but um looking at your list and tell me if i'm way off base but the way I imagine it sort of playing out on the table is you've got the Warwalkers are probably uh, reserved. So you force your opponent to sort of screen and sort of protect themselves. You have these long threat ranges on spears, and you project a lot of force in the middle of the table really fast if you want to, right? Um, so you kind of give your opponent this choice of like, well, if I want to move out and be aggressive on this scenario, I'm going to get punished pretty hard by the threat of all the things that you can bring to bear right away because you do... Like when spears can both shoot and charge in the same turn, they do a lot of damage, right? They just do, um, especially with the bonuses to the. Cause sometimes actually their damage in melee is a little bit, you know, eh. But you've sort of addressed that with the things that you're taking. So, are you sort of trying to create a situation where you sort of force your opponent to be a little less aggressive on the scenario, so you've got time to, uh, with with all of your threat, I would call it threat saturation. Is that kind of the game plan? Yeah, so part of what you said is correct. A little bit of the other stuff may be a little off base, but you're correct in saying that my game plan is actually to make your game a lot harder. So I'm not making your game harder by just putting down a volume of shots. It's more the threat of a spear unit moving 32 inches, shooting something, and then charging to one or two other things. So it's not that my army actually takes the middle. I've actually, I don't, I can't remember a game where I've actually taken the middle of the board, held the objectives, and been like, here, knock me off. Because that's not how. Eldar work. I mean, at least this version of Eldar. I haven't seen a list of pure Eldar yet where you actually play the objectives. I'm playing the opponent's army and trying to see where they can make a mistake and allow me to capitalize on it. It doesn't require them to make a mistake, but um, basically, since the board is so small, with the deployment zone, you, you will charge turn one if you want to with this army. And with um, redeploy as well, you can basically guarantee you will charge into something effective if you want to turn one so it also forces people to deploy um a little differently certain armies obviously don't really care if i charge them turn one like a death guard death guard army would be like sure go ahead charge my spawn turn one with your spears but they have to be careful with their characters because if i can go 32 inches behind them after redeploying that's a massive thing to take out so it plays a little differently because i don't control the middle of the board i usually don't hold many objectives i just try to prevent you from scoring the primary and i try to make it so i can this list only survives off two or three or four for one trades. Um, because obviously, Knight Spinners don't just pick up units. They just slowly do damage. Warwalkers depends against the army, obviously, because they're only AP negative two. But the Spears have to trade up. If you don't trade up with your Spear units, and when I mean trade up, I mean three or four for one. A two for one is not good enough. Because if you consider the point value of that unit of a seven man, it's only 250 points. Fine. But I'm also throwing in 400 points of Psychers, which are being used to buff that unit. 
and I have to now reserve the other unit. So it's 400 or 500 points in two spear units plus the 400 in the psyker. So 900 points are being dedicated to hiding a spear unit, playing a spear unit, and I didn't even count the other one. So 1300 of the points is usually not active every turn. Usually that unit of one has to carry the rest of the army. So it's and it's an army to be very careful with because spheres are actually really, really fragile. Um, they may be able to deal with shooting. Uh, you give them fortune protect, you have a two up involve in the Exarch and the feel no pain. But if you charge them with like three blade guard veterans, you're going to pick up like five spheres because they only, they don't have an involve in melee. So something like blade guard vets or any type of dedicated melee unit actually blows them out of the water. So their application in certain matchups has to remove the melee threats or prevent them from hitting them. Let me pause you real quick there, Kurt. I think you've hit a beautiful subject with your, uh, a lot of ideas in your last statement. So first off and foremost, you're playing Eldar, which is not a board control army. Like what in your army is tough and durable and sits in the middle of the field? Nothing. Nothing. And so to that end, you're playing the idea from a strategic perspective. I'm going to kill my opponent's army over time and try to just keep pace on the mission until I've kind of turned that corner on the killing aspect. Once I've killed enough, then I can start worrying about the mission and like dominating the mission. But until then, I'm just trying to mind my own business, score like 10 points a turn by holding the two objectives in my deployment zone and shooting a lot. Is that kind of the main idea? And throwing spears in his face to harass him. Yeah, and if I get 10 points a turn, amazing. That That is not indicative of my normal game. If I got 10 a turn, I'd be flying. I'd be fantastic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Even preventing. five, like you can take five, five to your opponent's like 10, 10 in the beginning. Sure. totally fine. And then turn it around with turn four, I score 15. Turn five, I score 15. All of a sudden, you're winning that game. Exactly. Yeah, and I guess I didn't, I didn't explain my thought very well. What I was trying to say wasn't necessarily that you would take the middle of the board. More like you would punish your opponent for taking the middle of the board, thus taking that away yes. from them, right? Because if they move everything into the yep. middle of the board, you bring so much force to bear that you're going to cripple their army. And you, you sort of, because of the way your army is designed, like they can't play the normal game plan of, well, I'm just going to come and stand on all the objectives on the board and then I'm going to blow you out on primary. No, I'm going to punish you if you do that because I'm going to kill everything that you love. So, Exactly. Now, there, there's one other question I wanted to ask as a follow-up to how you use your spears here. So back in the old days, the good old days with Yanar, you would <laughs> send your spears forward and either do one of two things. You would jump backwards with Soul Burst and you know that hit-and-run tactic where you're not yep. then getting countercharged and you can embrace that I'm three up and vulnerable, or now two up and vulnerable from Psychic Awakening, plus Fortune from shooting, so that's not going to do too much. Or you would, back in the day, Soul Burst, double shoot, double fight, whatever. If you're yep. new to this game, you know what I'm talking about. That Sorry. Um, and just kind of end the game right there. You don't have any of those fancy rules anymore. You go in there, and you're now just in there. And you're going to get countercharged, assuming your opponent has something of countercharge potential. Yep. How is that okay for you? Like, sure. how do you come to terms with that? And how do you still use spears and going forward? So you have to basically, so let's say they go in, they wipe. Let's say I, he only gives me a, let's use the space rings as an example. Let's say he lets me hit, say, eradicators or just intercessors, but I can't get to the juicy stuff like the, um, sorry, I get intercessors and eradicators or outriders, but I can't get to the aggressors. The aggressors are the thing that beat my army. Cause it's I can't like make a list. Yeah. You're typical. yeah just an example. Mm -hmm. So like the flamer aggressors are absolutely terrifying for me. So I have to make a two or three turn play where the only way I get to his aggressors is by trading one or two spear units. So let's say I, I buff one up to hell, I charge it in, I blow up a couple things. If I can wrap something, just make them spend CP because I just want them to run out eventually just so they spend it on the fallback desk breakout or one or two CP, whatever it is. And I have to eventually, I just let that unit die. I'm okay letting them die. 
if the unit that beats me in the game, the five-man aggressor or the five-man centurion or the whatever dedicated melee units, I can then trade next turn with the next spear unit. So I'm okay sacrificing them. They are no longer that unit where you just beat the whole army with one of them. You have to kind of take away certain units per turn. So you have to make sure they trade up and it sets you up for your next unit of spears and then the third unit of spears as well. So you can't really use them anymore in the same way where I know you use them very well back then when you were playing Eldar. They're a little different now because they're just not as durable. And luckily, I know back then we said that the spear unit could pick up a whole army. But since points have increased, um, when spears pick up more stuff now, it's a larger portion of their army. So they're killing more points than they previously did with one action. Obviously not comparing to two actions because that was ridiculous. But sure. they, they still do well. But yes, they do pop after dedicated melee hits them. It's just a matter of using your other shooting to hopefully reduce the amount of effect. So, and that's why you basically have brought three squads of spears with you to force trades to essentially, like, you don't need to have all three spear squads overwhelm your opponent and threat overload and win the game like that. You're sending one squad in, kind of like you're playing chess. You're like, I'm going to send my rook in to trade for your rook, and then I'm going to trade your, your other rook, my other rook in to trade for your knight. And then my last spear squad is going to just be a rook, but because you're out of stuff to kill it, it's just going to run through your entire pawn backfield, basically. Exactly. Actually, Nick, I think you're 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 close to right, but I think it's more like if I heard what Kurt said correctly, it was I'm going to send my rook in to trade for your knight and your bishop. So he's trying he's trying to trade up with those spear yep. units, right? He's not he's not sending it in to trade one for one. He's sending it in to trade two for one or three for one or four for one. If he that's can get a, away that's with a very it. fair point. So Kurt, at what point would you consider a, this is more abstract and let's try mm -hmm. not to be super army specific because it's more sure. conceptual, but at what point do you deem a trade worthy of your first spear unit and then your second spear unit and finally your third spear unit? Sure. So let's say it's turn one. If I can cripple the person's ability to ever kill my night spinners or my war walkers, um, I will do it. Let's. I know it's a weird example, but whatever unit can stop me from shooting night spinners for five turns, if I can stop that, it actually will usually give me a win simply because five turns of two damage night spinners shooting the majority of these space marine armies with two wound models night spinners will eventually pick up those two wound models they're just going to run out of them and if and you, i and really want to i love what you're saying here i just want to kind of highlight it basically not points don't actually matter it's the way the units interact kurt is trading one of his resources that he has three of for the only thing in his opponent's army that could stop the night spinners so all of a sudden even points be damned that unit that type of thing than the yep. opponent's army that can threaten the night spinners Kurt is willing to trade up for down for whatever yeah so like that's one of those specific exchanges simply because night spinners i know they're not scary when you look at them but over the course of a game they will slowly debilitate somebody's army and if they get a little hot you roll the 10 shots you're still hitting on threes you get one of the rerolls, and with doom they can just explode stupid stuff like aggressors like let's say at the end of the game i only have one spear unit and I'm not, and, I'm, and I can't get protect off because they're on the other side of the board. Or I'm just like, you know what? I'm just gonna jinx that aggressor unit. I ignore cover. Take two spear unit. Take two night spinners that ignore cover. I might just pick up that four or five man aggressor squad if I roll like one or two more sixes than I should, because you're rolling four ups now, and any sixes are just two wounds. So like their damage potential can really spike. And that's not that's not saying if they get lucky, but it's just if you combine them with the powers that Eldar have of jinx and doom. That's one massive advantage you have in your list, right? Because of the way Quicken works with Spears. You get to you get to dictate the terms of the engagement in most games, right? Because you're just so much faster than most things. I mean, there's some things that 
swing with you on that playing field. But in most games, like you, you get to, you, you have the initiative in the game of determining how the game is going to flow because you, you get to decide what you're going to trade your spears for. So playing the list well is really understanding what's important against each individual matchup. You know, uh, like you said, if you can make your spinners last for the entire game, well, five rounds of spinner shots is a lot of damage into your opponent's army and that don't require a lot of sight. So they always have optimal targets to shoot, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's an accurate statement. And the spears, um, you have to, I guess you have to allow them to die. You can't play the game of these. If I lose these, I lose. They're just like every other unit. Now they're less than 300 points a unit. I know it's a lot, but you have to allow them to die because they need to get their damage off. And if they don't actually hit anything or shoot anything, there's no chance you can win the game because none of my units sit on the objectives. Maybe just maybe five dire vendors when I'm doing scramblers or whatever it is, or run in the middle. But it's really the illusion of the threat is also just as strong. But going back to your movement um, statement, yeah, there's basically only one or two or three or four max units in the game that are as fast because it's really what? Chaos, Warp Time, um, Harlequin, Double Move, here what it's called. And, and Kraken yeah, crack and stealers. So like there's only four or five things in the game that can really op- go like 30 plus inches and be like, I'm charging. But crack and stealers are a whole different animal and the amount of points to get those off is sad. But um, there, there are other things that do it. I mean, obviously you can do stuff like the jump or dark crystal that can emulate the distance you cover, but you're limited well, by those the nine inches. screens, of course. Exactly. Whereas this is just like, I'm going 32. And the other nice thing is a lot of people don't like deploying against this army because if you have three units a lot of people assume that you're just going to be like, I'm sending one in turn one, which you can viably do. You don't have to with this army. And I actually prefer not to do it turn one. I prefer to present the illusion that I am going to do it turn one and allow them to deploy in a way that will hurt them on the primary. And then I usually never do it unless they make a big mistake. All right. So everything you're saying makes sense. I'm with it. Let's talk about, uh, well, actually, before I get into the rest of your army, I have one more question. At what point, and this is something I always struggle with myself as like a professional Eldar player. Um, how do you determine when do you want to bank on quick and going off? So it's easy to play Eldar when you can just move 16, move 22, shoot and charge. It's easy to play Eldar when your back's against the wall and the only way that you come out of this hole is make a 32-inch move and then charge something with Quicken. When you have a various amount of options, like I'm going to play defensive or I'm going to... Uh, or I could potentially spend two CP Phantasm, redeploy, move forward, quicken, and go deep into my opponent's army. Is that a risk you're willing to take? Because you can just move your spears out, fail quick, and then be sad about it. Like, what what is the thought process there? I think you have to accept some level of risk with any psychic-based dependent unit. Um, so you have to just take the fact, all right, I'm going to spend one CP to Seer Council. That's understood. I have to roll a six now. I'm going to spend another CP to re-roll it if I fail. So with with that math in mind, it's never guaranteed, obviously, because it's still rolling a 6 on 2d6. If it was rolling like a 4, you'd feel like it'd be 100% almost with the reroll. But you have to accept that there are certain games where you might have to do it to win. So uh, you try to minimize the number of turns where you can get punished super hard by using the L's in the middle or the line of sight blocking terrain. So you try to put them in a position so that if they fail, they're out of line of sight. But we both know that's not a good answer because there are times when you simply can't do it based on the distance you have to cover and where you're going. 
So there are times when you have to just suck it up and take the role of the six. Um, but you're never like seeking it out. You're not like turn one every time I go first, I'm flying across the table and charging him, right? No. I mean, the only way you do that is if somebody makes a horrible deployment mistake, right? Like if somebody leaves like a character in the wrong spot or like, it's like, oh, there's a nice spot. I could actually slip in with a 32-inch move. But you're, it's never an always thing with Eldar. And you know this after playing Eldar and your Harlequin list. This isn't a hammer. This is a scalpel. And you make a mistake with a scalpel and the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, absolutely. That leads me to another question. But before we do that, let's take a quick break from a word from our sponsors. Okay, Kurt. So we've determined that you're going to go for it when um, Quicken needs to go off. Have you? And I want to transition. I want to talk about the Warlock and Farseer powers that you're taking. But have you considered replacing uh, one of the Smites on one of the Farseers with the plus two to cast power just for that really important Quicken? Like, just to like, you know, uh, the only rolling that. Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, I was just gonna say because that that can that can make it a you know a four to roll uh, with a with a reroll make it fairly reliable. I haven't done it yet. In all honesty, I've I the only other one I've tried out is a ghost walk the plus two to charge for the deep striking unit, which I kind of like. Um, and I don't know if I guess I could switch that out for the guaranteed cast, but I think it's a very viable strategy as well. I haven't actually tested that power, to be honest. I haven't used it on the Farseer yet, but I do take the plus two charge power, Ghost Walk, if I'm not mistaken, is the name of it, so that when I deep strike with the other unit and they already have plus one from the Exarch, they're now plus three, so they charge on a six is the only nice thing. But I have not tried that out. I think that's a very viable strategy, though. Do you think that would replace Ghost Walk, or would you do that in addition to Ghost Walk? Honestly, I'd probably switch out Ghost Walk because. I don't think I've ever actually just went for the charge at a deep strike. Most of the time, I just put them behind line of sight terrain and then just do the quicken thing next turn because I don't like the idea of having to make that charge. Look at you, John, teaching Kurt some stuff about Eldar. I like it. Uh, not teaching that. It's just one of those things that I'd, I'd considered. But let's let's talk about your uh, your chosen psychic powers because we have to denote them on our, our, our army build and we can't change them up in between games. It sort of changes how we do that. So I'm curious to see what powers you start all of your Warlocks and Farseers with, and then also your Relics and Warlord traits. Sure. So uh, both Farseers are kind of taking the standard stuff that everyone's used to over the years of Farseers. So I'm taking Guide Fortune, um, pretty standard stuff. Obviously, reels of hit are good. Um, th that can be applied to whatever. I mean, you can give it to Spears, and as Nick alluded to earlier, their shooting is arguably more effective than their melee, simply because of the combination of Doom and the volume of shots you're throwing. Fortune, obviously a great power, five up feeling the pain, more or less. You put that on a spear unit or something else if you really need it for something else, for like, I guess, Dire Vendors or another unit if you have to. Um, that one also takes Ghost Walk, which is a plus two to charge power. I actually never even used it because I never had a time when I had to make the charge out of Deep Strike just because I feel so much more comfortable putting them out of line of sight and then moving and charging after that the next turn. The other Warlock takes Quick and Restrain, which we kind of already talked about. Um, if I run out of right. spears. Yep. Quicken, quicken on Dire Avengers isn't that bad if you have to go really far to get an objective because they are obsec and they're moving seven advancing, so they can actually go pretty far on the weird time when you have to quicken a five-man obsec unit. Um, and Restrain also has its moments every once in a while. If, at the end of the game, if there's nothing left to do, if you can restrain something that of your opponents which has to get an objective, it can actually make a difference. It may not be as powerful as the old Thunderhammer stuff, but it cuts the move characteristic in half. Uh, the other farce here, Doom, Executioner, Smite. I don't think we even need to go into how good those are. Um, <laughs> right, just absolutely. Power. And Executioner, obviously, is just a very effective way to get mortals off, especially against models that are one or two wounds. So if you can clip a model, do another D3, it's pretty high value. One of the better psychic powers in the game, for damage purposes at least. And Protect Jinx, obviously, 
plus one to your saving throws, negative one to saving throws. Uh, unlimited amount of uses for Protect Jinx, more or less. I mean, Protect Jinx might be the best Eldar spell. Um, some people might argue Doom, uh, but man, Protect Jinx does so much. <laughs> There's so many ways yeah. to use that spell. So. And they only get better when you combo them together. So like, it's really, they're all great powers. If Protect Jinx could be on a Farseer, then I'd say it'd be the best power in the game just because of reliability. But if you're on a Warlock, it's sad. Or I guess the, spirit, the Beeltan Spirit Seer would be the best way to do it in theory. Um, relics. Basically, there's no good Eldar relics, to be honest, that I can take in this list. Uh, you can really, right. they're all already on bikers, so there's no Falsher's Wings. Um, I took Phoenix Gem because there's, I don't think there's actually another relic in the book I can take, to be honest. Everything else is specific to a faction or a, like a Shuriken pistol, and I do not have those. So there's literally no other relic choices, and you can't do Power Sword. Um, so the Eldar relics are absolute trash, to be honest, unless in this list. So Phoenix Gem, I don't think it got used once ever, or I forgot about it. So that's great. If you're not familiar with it, basically, when the Farseer dies, he explodes and does mortals to any unit within three inches um, on a two-up. And then if he does any mortals, he comes back to life. So sometimes he'll get back up if you get lucky. Or if you want to charge him and explode him in the middle of somebody's army, it's actually kind of funny if you need to use some mortals. I've seen that be like a non-zero factor, right? It, it does a few mortal oh, yeah. wounds and brings the guy back 100%. to life. So, yeah. It's it. I mean, of terrible relics to take, I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. It's certainly not a space marine relic, but no, of course not. But it, it used to be obviously a lot better when the when the autark was a thing, the index autark. Then it was monstrously yes. awesome. And then for the warlord trait, I'm taking seer of the shift and vector or whatever the correct term is. So it basically just gives you a reroll at some point per battle round for the far seer. So it just allows that one guy to have two rerolls. So it basically guarantees fortune and guide go off because you can reroll one from your runes and one from that. So it, it just makes him super reliable. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, that's really smart. And then you can use uh, a reroll, reroll, right, on your warlock, um, like a CP yeah, exactly. reroll. Yeah, so, so I always save one. Which, you never spend them on the Farseers, sadly, but they're good enough already. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, Farseers are, Farseers are no joke. They're like, uh, they're pretty good. Okay, um, have you ever given any consideration to any of the other warlock powers, I guess, you know, quick and restraint, you just absolutely have to have and protect Jinx is just too good. It's almost like you could, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's just no way to do it, is there? But, yeah, I think you answered the question yourself. I mean, there are other powers, I did. but in this list, I'm not sure you can justify them, in all honesty. Right. None of them really make that much sense. I mean, the empower thing for plus one to wound is okay, I guess, for the strength six weapons, so they wound better, but you have doom, so nope. Yeah. Enhanced strain, plus one to hit. If you really want, if you had a third warlock, you'd probably go enhanced strain. So you could hit on two is rerolling ones with a spear unit. That'd be the only thing you'd really do. That would be pretty cool, though. <laughs> that would be pretty nice. All right. Uh, so I want to yeah. transition really quick from this to what the rest of the army is doing because we very much <laughs> neglected that. We've only talked, it's like podcast spears and psychic powers for an hour. Um, so you have, looks like three against Dire Avengers, or is it four? I think it's four, whatever. Four. They, yeah, four Inside do Avengers, much. Double Knight Spinner, and three Missile Launcher Warwalkers. And I guess that's supposed to be your firepower core and your board control. So, yeah. Night Spinners have gone up a lot in points. Warwalkers, uh, I think a lot of people have been coming back up, back onto them in Ninth Edition. And Dire Avengers, they're like the redheaded stepchild of Elder that I like, but a lot of people don't. What's what's How does this work? Sure. So, as you kind of said, it's my board control in parentheses, or quotations we're going to say it's not really board control to be honest none of these units are durable enough or want to actually be on an objective in the open so none of them are 
unless I'm basically just putting out Dire Avengers to die, just so my opponent doesn't get high primary turn one and turn two. So in all honesty, I sometimes do Scramblers and just have the Dire Avengers. Their only existence is to get Scramblers and prevent primary. So I'll spend a CP to like Deep Strike them or reserve one unit just to do Scramblers. I know it's not a great secondary, but the list doesn't always have good secondary simply because I don't have that much infantry. If you look at the list, there's four by five infantry. None of the psychers are infantry and it's not much opsec. So the other rest, as you said, the night spinners went up in cost. They were previously, I think, 112, if I'm not mistaken, before. So they've went up around 33 points. That's a pretty decent clip. That's like a 20-something percent increase. So they've increased a lot, but I think everyone would agree prior to ninth edition, they were under-costed at 112. They were a very, very good unit, especially with the custom craft world. So their increase is justified. I'm not sure that 145 is makes them very good, but they're good enough. Um, especially in this list. So they've more or less just sit back out of line of sight. And not all armies in the game right now have long-range anti-tank that they can shoot at the night spinners while ignoring the spears if the spears are in the game. So they will usually play my back objective sitting out of line of sight, hopefully, if there's something there. If not, they're just there as T7 tanks. And if you can shoot them, theoretically, you're not shooting spears, so I feel better. The, the well, Warwalkers... Moving and shooting from them has helped them a lot, too. Like, moving and shooting no penalty, because, like, when you put the mind oh, spinners yeah. in the eighth edition behind a wall, all right, fine. But then you have to move them at some point to hold your backfield objectives and screen out, or and then shoot less efficiently, or they don't do that and just a gun. Yeah, whereas like now they can move around; they're fully functional. Yeah, I, that's definitely a good point. That it's actually a two two prong thing, or a, there's two factors there. So since the board got smaller, their 48 inches is more than you'll ever need, basically, as I'm sure you're aware. The 48 inch, inches is monstrous with that with the north line of sight so they don't need the ladies to tell me <laughs> if only 4.8 but close enough um so the the night spinners are really good in just sitting there and they as you said don't suffer the heavy modifier anymore so they're definitely better than they were before but they're still more expensive um they're still a great unit they're consistent they give people targets i guess for the uh destroy tanks thing but in all honesty if i can hide one out of line of sight and you kill the Night Spinner and the three Warwalkers, you're only getting nine points for that secondary, which isn't enough to probably win a close game if it's a if if people select secondaries correctly. So the Night Spinners usually sit back. They will play the objectives though on turn two and turn three, maybe turn four, depending on the army, because stuff like eradicators, I've already probably hit with spears or scared them enough where they're not there. Or I've just simply shot them with missile launchers or spinners. So things that can target them, I try to get rid of it if I can. Um, as I alluded to earlier, protecting them is high priority, but I won't go out of my way. So they can play objectives turn two, two, two through four, just because they are still T7 tanks. I know obviously a grab unit comes down and picks one up without a, without blinking, but that grab unit probably wants to shoot the spears instead. Um, so they sit like that. The Warwalkers try to find one piece of terrain on the board if they're not reserving and just fire and fade for as many turns until I run out of CP. Um, and six missile launchers with ignore cover isn't something to ignore. Most armies don't exactly want to take it. Um, even Admech, with their amazing shooting, don't love getting shot by six of them. So they're good against most armies. They're they could be cut though. I think they're one thing that might that could get replaced in the army just because they are a little clunky. Um, they don't ignore cover. Or sorry, they don't ignore line of sight like the spinners. So there are games where using them is a challenge. So they sometimes get reserved, and they are CP dependent if I want to keep them alive, just because they're only T six six wounds. It's a decent number of wounds, but they're four up, five up. So they are squishy. If you want to kill them, you probably will with a dedicated shooting unit, or at least kill one or two. 
One nice thing, though, about that Forb save is that they are immune to grab. Not immune to grab, but grab doesn't get that extra damage buff. Yeah, I think you can say they're immune to grab. If anybody shoots grab at them, I just won the game because they shot grab at that instead of spears or night spinners. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Yeah, you're very happy. So that's cool. Let's, uh, I do have a question. Um, have you considered putting in like one Ranger unit for the Dire Avengers to give you uh, access to behind enemy lines? Um, also possibly scramblers. I mean, there's a lot you could do with a deep striking, uh, cheap unit. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. No, deep striking MG is super powerful. Yeah. I think I like, I've liked the dire Avengers simply because they combine really well with the, uh, doom and jinx powers. And they just give me some unexpected volume of firepower. I think that's a valid change. Cause it's only about a five point increase or 15 per now, I think for Rangers. So I think that's a valid point. You could switch them out. Um, I haven't needed just, them. Just one unit. I, I would get yeah. three units of dire Avengers, but yeah, just, just one to have as a, as a tool for giving or you some al- access. Alternatively, to have you ever considered using the Wubboy assault strat to pull just a unit of dire Avengers and deep strike for that ability? I usually do that probably half my games. Usually one deep striking for so scramblers. You'd rather have a dire Avenger than Rangers because they are a better unit for damage, and and you'd rather spend the CP than the ten points to get something that can deep strike. Yeah, the army doesn't burn CP very quickly. There are very few Eldar stratagems that are that good. Lightning Reflex is obviously two CP, but given that a lot of tables have negative one to shooting terrain, and the only time you're shooting spears is if they're already engaged and they're going to take the whole brunt of an army whatever who cares go ahead and otherwise it's probably out of line of sight so it's only going to be like scorpions or disintegrators or whatever so i i am i actually think that you could do a ranger unit but i have a liked in certain matchups when i can bring 20 dire avengers to bear with shooting with doom they can actually chip down stuff but i think both are valid options i think rangers do deserve an, a chance i haven't used them personally but i have enjoyed dire avengers even though they are t3 and pretty squishy but all the infantry are they just got to accept it Makes a lot of sense. So on a similar line of thinking, is there things you've considered? There there have been a lot of Eldar chats about things like Wraith Lords, Solo Vipers, Hornets, Orb Spiders, all these MSU Eldar type units to score objectives, score secondaries, and play the mission pretty autonomously along with the Eldar style. 
Uh, have you considered any of that instead of like your third spear squad or reunite spinners or anything like that? Sure. So my first list I tried out was similar to that. I was trying solo war walkers. I was trying vipers because vipers are pretty cheap in all honesty. And given their speed, they can play the mission really well. Um, the reason I kind of didn't love the Vipers is specifically the mission, because if you end up taking a lot of those MSU units, those are super easy secondaries to pick up. And if you're taking Vipers, you don't want to just take one or two or three. Sorry, you want to take at least three in reality, just because you want to play the mission. And Wraith Lords, I'm very skeptical of. I tried them once or twice, but my issue was they don't have an invuln. And given the amount of grav devs and eradicators and zoanthropes I was playing and whatever it was, um, the lack of an invuln made them very squishy, even though they're T8. Sure, they're autonomous. They need no buffs. You put two star cannons on them. They're kind of expensive. I think they're 130 with two star cannons, if I'm not mistaken, around 120 there. 120 or 130, I don't remember. Yeah, star cannons are 15 a pop now, and they're 100 base. So they get kind of pricey, to be honest. And if you want to give them the Ghost Glaive, you probably don't in reality, because it's not that good for 10 points. Uh, Wraith Lords, I think, are okay but i just don't think they fit the game well enough i think they're too they're too expensive i think the way the wraith lords get used is not in in the are not in the army where the only thing that's like tough and shooty they're they're used when you're like you have a lot of wave serpents you have a lot of uh spears in your face you have solo vipers solo war walkers that kind of stuff and it's like all right i could put a lot of effort into kill a wraith lord and Reduce the firepower coming at me by two star cannons or two missile launchers, whatever you chose. Or I could put the same amount of firepower and kill two war walkers, kill two units and reduce it by four star cannons, four missile launchers. And you want to take those, of course, because they're just price point efficient for you. So the Wraith Lord is like your seventh, eighth, and ninth, or like MSU shooting unit, or they are just like too tough for me to bother with kind of heavy support unit. I think you're correct in theory that that could work. But I think in practice, the list you end up making at that point is that is so imbalanced because those units are actually more expensive than you realize. For example, a wave serpent is how many points? About a one one fifty at the cheapest, right? Yeah, one fifty is the baseline. Yep. So one fifty for him, one thirty for a wraith lord. You're not getting much mileage of damage out of them, um, and I think you end up with a list that feels imbalanced. I don't think you can fit spears and actually have enough of those threats to play the mission well because. You don't have the psychic backup at that point. I don't think you're going to fit two Farseers, two Warlocks. You're only going to have probably uh, one. I, I've tried to write this list before, and it ends with like one Farseer and like one Warlock, and I'm happy. Yeah. I, I just think that style of list doesn't fit Eldar because nothing's durable enough per point relative to the Imperial counterpart. I think those comparisons are, I don't think the army would function as well i think it would still work you can play that list but i think there are other imperial counterparts which are more point efficient and get you to better msu style of a list than that because you just don't have the same buffs if you played that msu eldar list and you line up in front of admech don't you just lose like because admech is just so much more efficient in shooting uh, i guess you play the mission yeah i mean your your eldar army walks up to the table and is like i'm gonna table you and ask questions about the mission later and Ad admech does the same thing it's like i'm going to table you and ask questions about the mission after i'm done with that and but they do it better, like, yeah. well, who's tabling each other first and admech will yeah. table you first and then i guess you're not around to contest the mission so yeah that's definitely the category of everybody else i i do like that you're leaning into the things that eldar does very well which is their psychic powers and the speed uh, you like the initiative of dictating the engagement, right? I think that's really, really powerful. I just think you have to because the certain point changes and a lot of the units you previously used 
are too extreme for you to play them the same way you did previous, at, at that point. Like almost every aspect warrior is overcosted. I mean, outside of spears, I think the remainder of them are way too expensive to justify any of them. Now, a lot of people like spiders, and let's just talk on that real quick. They they sure. can super fast move. They can do forty six yep. in addition to their base move seven to and not count as advancing. So they can still perform actions like raise the banners, or deploy scramblers. They yep. can deep strike naturally, and they can use web of deceit if you want to swap out your exarch power for psychic awakening to deep strike again in the middle of the game. That's ridiculously fast. No, they are. They play the mission phenomenally, but I, I like to see the rest of their list and how they're beating their opponent and preventing them from playing the mission. Because Warp Spiders play the mission well, but they're not obsec. And you could you can do the same, not the same thing, but I know Hawks are obviously a, basically a worse version of the Spider. But they're 18 points per model for a T3 one moon model. How much are the Cerberus Raiders? The, um, um, think, don't, don't even get me started on the opponent. Okay, so that's why I stopped that conversation. Because at, when you bring that unit on the table, and when you're up against something else, which is not equally mobile, but has the same style of a unit where it plays the mission phenomenally, has amazing board control. I don't like that comparison. Not to say that's how you should get rid of that unit, but I did use Warfighters and I actually really liked them. But I found that I need to win the game. I actually had to have units that right. kill. So me. there's nothing wrong with Warp Spiders or Swooping Hawks or whatever is what you're saying. It's that your strategy is to kill your opponent and worry about the mission later. So by taking units that worry about the mission now, those swooping hawks, the the Wraith Lords, the Warp Spiders, whatever, you're diversifying, you're diluting your strategy. Your strategy is simply to kill them first, questions about the mission later, and by taking units that do the mission now, you're not killing them first. Yeah, I think, I think also Warp Spiders, I don't think do the mission now. I think they do the mission later. They don't do the mission turn one. You don't put them on objectives like, hey, I'm here. Cool, negative one to hit. Congratulations. Shoot your five intercessors. Kill three. Shoot another random thing. Kill five. They don't do the mission now. They do the mission later. They do it on turn three, four, five. And for the first two turns, they're not really doing anything. They're 12-inch guns. You can deep strike them fine. They can jump around the board. They play recon. But if someone wants to kill five warp spiders, it's equivalent of this killing five T3 models with three up. And sure, you put them in cover. You give them negative one. If they're on an objective, they're in the middle of the board. And if you're playing against any any army that has decent, not decent, but any shooting at middle range, they're going to die. I know a two up and negative one hit is decent, but they're T3. Yeah, it, it's good. But like Marines can shoot that out. Harlequins could charge that out. Custodies can screen and charge that out. Like it, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, they play the mission phenomenally. Their mobility. Like when you talk about how fast they can go, the way they can scramble and not do an action, all that stuff, or not still move 46 and do the action is fantastic i used them a couple times i actually really liked them in the games but i didn't find that they got me to a winning position they just made me get secondaries um and i don't think they're invalid whatsoever i think they are a good unit but i just don't like the way they play the game because of how quickly they die for 90 points and that's totally fair i just want to kind of bring up the other commonly used units that people talk about and see what your thoughts are and you know where you're coming from makes total sense i just wanted to cover the basis for everyone else and so, the, one, uh, the last question I had here are things like Shadow Weavers instead of Night Spinners and potential Autark for just real ones aura. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the Autark, I don't, I really went back and forth on the Autark, but I found that I just need the psychic powers and he's 100 points. I'm not sure what I can get rid of, which makes sense. I can't cut a Dire Vendor squad to get him. The Autark's decent, but it just. I think maybe it's that I'm butthurt that there's no more Index Autark, which was so powerful before, and now he's just a shadow of his former self that I just don't want to put him back on the table with a weaker version of him. I know you can take the one with the wings or whatever, but 
for reroll ones, it's just not that important. You have master artisans. You're only shooting two night spinners and three warwalkers in reality. You're already rerolling one hit. If you get one reroll on a warwalker unit for the cost of an autar, one reroll on a night spinner, one reroll on another night spinner, it's not that important. And you're already going to be guided with the spear unit, which is flying up. And sure, you get real ones in melee, but that's what I have Savage Blades for. So I think I already you already have it emulated with Savage Blades and Masterful Shots and Expert Crafters. Makes but sense. But Autark at least. So what about those Shadow Weavers instead of the Night Spinners? Uh, I don't own Shadow Weavers, so I'm not using them. That's a great answer. <laughs> that's amazing. The Borrow Hammer there? They're hard to find. Who has those things? I ordered nine from Games Workshop, and they told me they were out of stock. I'm like, who the hell bought all the Shadow Weavers? <laughs> exactly. You never see them on a table. You never see them in a store. Where are they? <laughs> You're so Fucking right. Illuminati, man. It's the Illuminati. That's the answer. All right. So I got one more series of questions before I kind of close this out for you. What general secondaries do you play this mission? Like, what is your what is your overall strategy for the mission? You know, you go into ninth edition, you have these are secondaries. Life is hard. You're playing Eldar. You can barely scratch your butt without having to work twice for it so like what can you do sure so my secondaries are usually pretty crap to be honest um it depends on the army obviously i'm not it's a cop out but i'll i'll still go through the ones that i do engage on all fronts is viable but it's not i never get more than like 10 to be honest because the way you know all that works is i'm contracting and i'm expanding expanding once or twice at a time so i'll probably get engaged on all fronts if i do it i'll probably only get like nine points i'm not really going to get 10 11 12 just because turn one, I'm not getting three points. There's no way I'm putting a unit in every quarter unless no, there's just almost no way I'm doing it. Line breaker, no way. Domination, I will do in a five objective mission because it is okay with spears. People are afraid to be on objective. So I can kind of take two in my back with like a, with a night spinner unit, um, Warwalker unit maybe, or just sacrifice a five-man Dire Avenger each squad. And then if the spears go into the middle, I can do domination. If there's line of sight, line of sight blocking, I can do domination. I never do thin the ranks because who does? I would never do grind them down because that's awful. Um, while we see me fight, eh, I've done it once or twice, but it's only when the terrain allows me to. Because while we see me fight would be double night spinner and the farseer with fortune guide. So that allows me to usually get 15 points if the opponent can't get to my night spinners. So in certain games, that can be massive if there's enough to hide two night spinner models. Um, so that's an easy way to get 15. Um, you never do cut off the head. You never do assassinate with this army unless there's like a thousand characters. Uh, raise the banners i never do either so i really am end up picking recon um sometimes while we stand we fight and the mission primary depending on what it is because my army is so aggressive i usually do scramblers as well so there's a lot of scramblers for 10 points occasional fronts for about 10 maybe at best and then it's either while we stand we fight or the mission primary because all the psychic ones are rough for this army in certain matchups do you ever consider attrition which one's that? The attrition, the uh, kill more, kill more per turn. Uh, grind, grind them down is what's now called. It's basically who killed more in the battle round. No, I can't do that. I mean, like I have five man dire avengers. If I kill two units, they're like, all right, I'm gonna shoot your dire avengers with my indirect fire. Cool, pick up the spear unit, whatever it is. I can't do it with this army. I, I mean, maybe later. But, uh, yeah, it's not. It's not just so like hard. I can kill two dire avengers because it's like, all right, you can kill two dire avengers twice, and then you're out of easy things to kill. But also, you're throwing away a spear squad at turn on top of that. And yeah. if they ever decide to get offensive on their own and kill like a night spinner or kill like the warwalkers or something, it's like, well, and, and what if you have second turn? I hate that secondary. I'm sorry. Like it, it works sometimes, but if you have second turn, the person just like, okay, you killed two units. I'm gonna kill exactly two this turn. You now get zero. Cool. Saying, no, I actually think well. it's easier to achieve that secondary if you have second turn. So you're saying the elder oh, saying, yeah, if, if you have first. If you yeah. have first, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm saying if the opponent yeah. has second. 
The only reason why I ask is I think that that can be kind of a sneaky um, secondary because a lot of people are playing such MSU styles that they have a lot of cheap to pick up stuff a lot of times. And you have indirect fire, which actually I see a lot less indirect fire and a lot of less uh, than I did in 8th edition. So, I don't know, just a thought. <clears throat> no, it makes a lot of sense. But I think Kurt also wants to actually use his Dire Avengers when he's given the chance. Is that true? Yeah, no, they, if they don't shoot, they're not doing anything. Otherwise, I mean, they're going to die eventually. They're not going to last the whole game. They never have and they never will. I paid for these guns, and I'm going to use these guns. Exactly. And I'm hoping <laughs> that like one dies from like a stupid explosion so I can get Avenging Strikes, which is awesome, obviously. I mean, it's only a five-man unit. So I scoured the entirety of Eldari to find an auto-explode strat or some way to cause mortal <laughs> There is none. Units. You can no. You can use the Phoenix Gym. I was like, oh, I'm going to put my You're Warlock in front own? of my army and be like, oh, I dare no. you. Don't you? I mean, I guess you could. You could, right? What if like, you roll like three for like four units and you kill like twelve Dire Avengers? And you're like, oh god! Damn. This actually happened to me in one of my games. To go off on a total tangent here, I'm sorry, listeners. Uh, I played John Lennon forever ago on our one of our war room coaching matches, and he drove a Hellhound into a Farseer. It's a very wounded oh, Hellhound. Had like four wounds left. Four wounds charging into just a standard issue Farseer. I have to roll two hits on two plus, two wounds on two plus. He has to fail both armor saves and I have to roll four wounds on damage. And he did. And he did. <laughs> and then he has to roll six on the explosion. And he did. And awesome. he can't re-roll it because it's ninth edition. So it exploded onto every dire avenger unit and dire avenger unit. But this could be horrible, right? It's like could be. in D3 wounds to every squad. I could lose like 18 dire avengers here. I lost I think eight. Like one from so many units and two That's from perfect. a couple. And then I just like killed like four Lehman Russes with these Dire Avengers. It was oh, beautiful. That's gross. It was amazing. This is all on turn one and two. That's living the dream. I lived the dream. That was my first game of ninth edition ever. That was my very first game of ninth edition. Honestly, that doesn't even sound real. It's also on stream in the war if you want to check it out. Yeah. It just sounds like one of those one-up stories. Well, yeah, well, one time I had a hell on. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, but I still haven't forgotten it. That's how memorable it is. I play like five games a week, you know. Yeah, no, that's uh, got that 40K life. Well, I don't have any more questions. I think we've done a good job talking about the overall strategy. Yeah, very good. No, Kurt, you were fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Very excited to have you on for part two to talk about how you actually play against specific factions and specific lists and tactics. You seem to have a great grasp on Eldar as a as a you know a strategy concept. But let's see what you do in individual scenarios I throw you in that are super hard. Let's find out. Let's find out. All right. John, you have anything else you want to ask? No, but I, I just want to remind all of our listeners that we're going to be going over to our Patreon for part two. So if you're not a patron, I haven't figured out why you haven't done that yet, but you definitely should because uh, it, in my opinion, the uh, the first episodes are always great, the strategy episodes. So as if you're new, we always go through, just like we did in this episode, we talk about the uh, macro discussion of what the list is all about. And discussion two is a tactical discussion where we talk about how to play the individual list in different matchups because it's very different depending on what you're playing against. You really get inside the mind of, in this curse, in this case, Kurt, and what he's thinking and what he's trying to accomplish on a turn-by-turn basis. And it can both help you in if you want to play this list, but also if you're sitting across from it. Like you could be like, okay, this is what he's going to try to do. This is, you know, this is what I'm going to have to try and prevent. So um, it's like $6 a month, and I guess that's enough. That's enough of trying to sell you on the patron. Uh, I think it's a very good value. Everybody tells me they love it. So um, we'll, patrons, we'll see you over on episode two. For everyone else, we'll see you next week. Have a great day. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K. 
www.thebigcartel.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.